0: Coming up next in The Ziggler Show.
1: I want to know what that like intersection is between somebody deciding to go on to survive or thrive or perform better than ever before and why other people decide to quit. And I feel like it's a combination of things. There's always going to be nuances between everyone's different experience I feel like looking back, for me, I had a knowing inside of myself that there would be growth. So we see within the the phenomenon of post-traumatic growth that it's not just resilience, it's not just bouncing back to your existing set point, but we can go on to live bigger lives because of the traumas and challenges we've experienced.
0: Welcome to The Ziggler Show, I'm your host, Kevin Miller. On The Ziegler Show, my focus is getting to the root of personal and business development by digging into what actually helps us change and transform and achieve the progress we feel called to and the fulfillment we truly desire. Here I bring today's most influential people onto the show and take captive the core issues of human performance by having honest conversations about what really matters to our individual success. In this episode, where therapy gives so much focus to our past. Modern day success coaching is focused primarily just on the future. Well, a great fusion I found is what's termed as positive psychology. And as my guest, Nick Pidgeon says, positive psychology looks at what is going right in our world instead of what's going wrong, but also gives great gravity to our emotions and our past traumas. As you heard in the intro, the key, however, is harnessing it for our benefit instead of allowing it to diminish us. And Nick Pigeon is an author, award-winning positive psychologist, high-performance coach, and investor. And as you'll experience in our following conversation, she's an insightful and vivacious thought leader who has had a profound impact on some big influencers, including Elon Musk. Nick's muse and the focus of her new book, Now Is Your Chance, is what perspectives will enable us to continue instead of quit? How will we better respond if we consider our commitments in regards to what will happen if we don't do them versus just if we do? Her perspectives really fly in the face of a lot of today's negative media influences that are just dragging our culture down. And she gives us a breath of fresh air regarding how to turn our challenges into opportunities. Sounds pithy, but it is just profound. You can connect with Nick and get her book for free at nowisyourchancebook.com. And if you want to go beyond merely listening can join our community of people devoted to making positive change in their life and work, come on over to KevinMiller.co and join my Driven to Live community. You can go from listening to this podcast episode about positive psychology to engaging with the topic in your own life. Now I bring you Nick Pigeon. Well, Nick, I really appreciate the positive psychology aspect and I'm a word guy. So I actually looked it up. You know, what positive psychology, somebody looks it up, what are they going to see? So I'm going to throw this at you. See if this is what you resonate with, or if you see it a little different, it says positive psychology is a scientific study of human flourishing and an applied approach to optional functioning. It's also been defined as a study of of the strengths and virtues that enable individuals, communities and organizations to thrive. How's that hit you?
1: nail on the head yeah I always get asked yeah people always ask they're like so is it just the opposite to negative psychology and it, it makes me laugh but it's also true in some part because yeah. positive psychology was born as a counterpart to psychology as usual which actually focuses on disorder and disease so we developed a handbook of human strength and virtue and really look at what goes right with people and what goes right with the world rather than what goes wrong
0: well, and I'd like to think that all psychology would by proxy be positive, but you're right. It often is focused on the negative and digging in there. And especially if we get into therapy and, and counseling and, and whatnot. Well, the next piece too, though, is, you know, your books as living your happiest life. And as I'm reading in there, I also appreciated you pulling out the word happy. And you said, admittedly, it's somewhat of a hook, which I would agree. That's what people, my gosh, there's so many podcasts, so many books that talk about happy. It is a hook, but you then get in and say, it's kind of a path. If that's you tell me a path to fulfillment and joy. Yes. Yes.
1: And it's really about like, I see it as mastery and engagement and awareness with our experience uh-huh. I don't think that happiness is somewhere that we're trying to get to. I think it's where we already are. And it's about looking inside of ourselves and inside of our experience to really excavate and uncover the the diamonds and the gems within that.
0: Right. So would you from a jumping over onto the business side say that it is what people want? So we're leading with happiness. That's what people want to give them get to them, hopefully lead them to what they need, which is the deeper joy and fulfillment, kind of like the weight loss. We know that if we've got something in the health and wellness arena, man, you want to get people's attention, talk about weight loss, even though over here, what we really want, and I know you talk a lot about this. Matter of fact, you had some Facebook posts today, Facebook, Instagram, I think, uh, over here, we just want them well, feeling well, Mm. functioning well, which from a, as a business personality, I appreciate that you put so much of an emphasis on the physical well-being
1: yeah and it's interesting that you mentioned the business because it's like one of the things that we say in marketing is sell them what they think they want and give them what they need so it's this idea like some of our clients will come and work with me and they'll say nick help me build a million dollar business Mm -hmm. and i'll say awesome i can teach you how to do that that's easy for me now and What they realize and recognize, they come out of the other end of the program after six months or 12 months or three years for some of them, depending on how long they're with us. And they're like, Nick, I'm a whole different person. And I've got new friends, too. And I've got this impact and this mission and this purpose. So, I always believe that the journey is never just one thing. It's never just getting a 10K months or having a seven figure business or having a new network of people that you love to surround yourself by. It's really about the nuances and the subtleties and the sense of knowingness and personal power that you're then able to navigate the rest of your life with forevermore that comes out of these choices to show up and say yes to yourself, both for the big decisions and also within the micro moments every day as well.
0: We've got Nick in the audience, a lot of people who are doing small business, but we have a high majority, a lot of people doing coaching, coaching, consulting, speaking to some degree. And so in that, in what you just said, and you actually mentioned the word personal power. I had a coach on a few months ago, and he works just with men, with executives. And he said, so often men are attracted initially to what he's doing because they want, it was power. And it was another word that I can't come up with. Uh, but pa- let's just go with that with power. And yet over here, kind of lending itself to what you just said, they really, what the value is, what they come out at the other end. He does a lot of masterminds, a lot of retreats is that they, they most value and at the core want relationships. Relationships yeah I see yeah. okay I
1: think it's like I grow our business and I operate my life based on my core values and three of my top values are growth and generosity and also connection and I think certainly when we look at the loss of connection that we've experienced over the last couple of years just by being isolated being at home more, And then also how connected we are in the digital landscape, it brings up an interesting question and an interesting curiosity for me and I'm sure for everyone else as well about how can we actually develop and maintain and lean into connections that are fulfilling for us. And I really see that entrepreneurship is a vehicle to help us to do that.
0: You So in talking about that, how... To all these folks who are doing coaching, consulting, speaking, knowing that if you were to go out there and say, hey, I'm the connection coach, I don't know that that would be the best banner, the best brand to go out there with. And yet you attest to, yeah, those who want a million dollar business are over here and they really do want connection. So with somebody who's looking at their coaching and consulting, let's just go with coaching. Let's go with business coaching and say, man, I know how to help somebody grow a business. And maybe I know specifically in a certain niche, I've done it. I'm a rock star. I can help them. Are they going to run aground in their efforts if they make the focus just that, only the business and miss the personal side?
1: I think nowadays, yes. I feel like our communities and we are more educated and more discerning around what we really want and need. I feel like you have the primary marketing message or you have the primary hook. So let's say for the business coach, it might be come with come with me. I'll show you the way to grow your business. And we want to also touch in on why people really want need that. So who else and how else does that actually impact that person's life? So it might be the the business owner is going to work with a coach or mentor because they want to access their next level of financial success. And when they do that, they know that it's going to have this ripple effect that extends outwards to impact their kids or to impact their clients and actually what we see now from positive psychology is that interaction between coach and client does have a way more powerful ripple effect than we ever imagined and it's not even just the coach client relationship that it impacts Let's say you are coaching with a client, that client then goes to the store and at the checkout, they have an interaction with someone. Mm. The way that they show up at the checkout at the store is completely different from the way they would have shown up at the checkout at the the store if they hadn't worked with you. So I see the opportunity we have as coaches. Within the different modalities, whether it's spirituality or business or psychology, to really create this network of activation around the world so that we can help way more people than just the individuals we work with.
0: Do you feel, well, in your average week, how much of your time do you feel you spend with literal business coaching? I'm looking at your marketing, your branding, your you know, whatever, or really working with the person on who they are, how they are, how they're showing up, as you said, that impacts the business as much as a new brand.
1: Mm, I think it's always both. And it's interesting because sometimes our clients will come and ask questions that will be really strategy focused. And they'll be like, Nick, just give me the tactic or give me the strategy for this. And I'll answer with a question. <laughs> you can almost see they're like, oh, I'm so frustrated because she's asked me a question and I just wanted to tell me what to do. And I think that we have this opportunity to to be in the dance. Certainly for me, I'm a teacher and I'm a mentor and I'm a coach. So, I will sometimes teach from my experience, and I'll tell people, like, this is what I did to create this launch or to do this business thing or change my model or scale the thing. And then other times, I'll bounce back with a question and it will shift more into a coach approach and we'll look more at what that person or what that client is really trying to say without them actually saying it.
0: If you have someone who's they've got a small business. They made 50 grand last year. They want to, you know, break six figures this year, or they made 300 or 500 grand and they do want to hit seven figures generally. So they've got something that's already generating money. Where do you find, I don't know if it's fair to ask for a, a ratio or a percentage, but where do you find yourself spending the most time with them? Is it mostly to be fair, a business issue. Yeah. They, they need to really, you know, look at how they're offering their product or service. They need to look at other marketing opportunities. They need to look at their costs X, Y, Z, or do you find it is some personal hangups? And I know it's both, but again, to those folks who are doing, especially business coaching and they think, man, I am focused on business. i really want to draw their attention to how much of the need is actually personal. So somebody wants to grow, or maybe they're having a problem. They're having some struggles with the business. How much of the percentage is business as opposed to personal? You are listening to the Ziegler show and my conversation on positive psychology with Nick pigeon. We'll be right back.
1: I feel like it would be. I mean, the the normal rule is it's eighty percent mindset and twenty percent strategy. Oh, yeah. and you okay. can you can never outthink a str- like you can never um like outstrategy the, your level of thinking. So what I see is that you have to have the shift in your um, self belief your shift in perspective, and also a shift in strategy for each phase of growth. And what gets you to one level of success is not going to be the thing that gets you to the next level of success. So I'll give you some specific steps rather than talking in generalizations. So let's say someone came to work with us and they're at the 50k per year mark and they want to double that. I would be asking a question around what is the driving force of the business that is actually going to help them to get there? Because looking at the mistakes that I made going from zero to six figures or even six to seven figures, I made it a lot more complicated than it needed to be. So it can be very simple when you choose not to get distracted by the shiny objects when you choose to double down on the thing that's actually working really well and you get yourself into a um, phase of growth where you're selling out the particular product in that particular phase of your business model before leveraging it and then scaling. So I teach a method called Nail It and Scale It, which it's going to be different for every business. So it's never one approach, but an example might be Someone's at the 50K per year mark, they want to go to 100K, so they might really double down on -on one-on-one coaching to get there. When they sell out their one-on-one coaching, they might have a different problem. So they might want to go from making six figures to making seven figures. Now, yes, you can do that doing one-on-one coaching. I have a friend who has 10 clients and he charges 100K per client and he makes a million dollars a year. And that might not be for everyone. So the way that I did it was I shifted from one-on-one coaching into um, focusing much more on group coaching. Now, where this comes into play with respect to the mindset and also the personal systems is you shift your business model or you shift the program or the product that you're selling and all of these inner demons come in. So what I see is people, entrepreneurs will get stuck within their own growth if they're not actually focusing on their personal growth, too. So things like having personal systems and rituals, having positive psychology practices, looking at the space that they're giving themselves for things like self-care or reflective work. Even for me, for example, I know what my strengths are. So, we do the positive psychology, VIA, and Gallup strengths finder. Yeah. So, I know one of my top strengths is intellection. I know I have a lot of strategic strengths, a lot of thinking strengths. So, I know it's of great benefit to me to actually have a lot of space to be able to think. So, if somebody understands and knows themselves, maybe they're looking at personality tests or human design and things like that. The more that you know about yourself, the more that you can take that understanding and you can apply it to your business to make sure that the strategies and the tactics you're putting into place actually work for
0: you. So what were some of the specific personal ways that you complicated things early on?
1: Have you, how long have you got? I have a very long list. This is what, pe-
0: and you know, though, that this is what people relate to. And it's what you're coaching yeah. people to overcome now. And I want them to hear because you started off and you, you did well, but you said that in the book as well, that you complicated things or, or I can ask you, no, I do want you to share personally, but then to say, and likewise, how do we generally complicate things?
1: Mm, I'm, I'm happy to share it all. I think one of the, the biggest <clears throat> distinctions that I have on reflection is that I was very impatient, Because I didn't come from a family that was wealthy or had money, it was very alien for me when I started to make money. And I was in this panic of I need to have as much of it as I can get as quickly as I can get it. Otherwise, it's going to go away. And somewhere inside of me, I still had like a scarcity button where I was thinking that it it somehow wasn't going to work. So for me, I was making money. I was selling one-on-one coaching, like I said, to start off with. And then I looked at, okay, I'm selling that, but I want to launch a digital course. So I'm going to go and create that. And what happened when I went to launch a digital course was I took my uh, focus off the driving force of the business and this thing was getting developed but this thing was actually dropping at the same time. Mm. And because I wasn't working on raising my energetic capacity to hold and receive at the same time, it felt like everything got out of balance and I added too many things to the mix when it was just me as a solopreneur and naturally something's got to give. So what gave at that point was my confidence. What gave at that point was my energy. What gave at that point was also my financial success.
0: Yeah. Okay. I can't pass up you saying raising my energetic capacity. So I spent about six years focused on helping people pursue self-employment. It was an online membership and I'm focused on business, on branding, on marketing, on, you know, on, on creating all those business pieces. And yet not to minimize it, but as you said, you can generally find an opportunity that fits someone and fits the marketplace. And yet, there was a stalling, there was a slag. And over and over, I kept hearing people say, man, I just don't have the energy. At the end of the day, after the weekend, I'm I'm taxed. And that's what brought my attention to realizing, gosh, most of the entrepreneurs I know, including myself, really put a high value on their exercise, fitness, and overall capacity. And I see they are getting more out of themselves. And so here I am with this business teaching model, and we put in physical health and wellness. And it was incredibly desired by people. I just never would have put that together, which is why, of course I honor, again, I saw the post that you did today and it was actually, I got you pulled up here and uh, you were talked about before you can step on the gas, you have to fuel up. So again, people want to help me make a million bucks. And you're saying, how about you eat some veggies? Uh, That's again, that's not what people want to lead with. And yet, obviously you're seeing people's incapacity there.
1: Mm. And I think we all have to, or we have an opportunity to get really honest. One of the tools that I teach in that capacity, breaking down health specifically into the areas of movement and nutrition and sleep and restoration. I first of all ask that we rate ourselves. So what would you rate yourself from zero to 10 for sleep or for nutrition or movement or restoration? Now you've got a more accurate picture and a more honest picture rather than you just kind of bumbling through your day and thinking, oh, maybe I should do something about that thing. Get real and look at what it is that is or isn't working. I then invite you to consider what a 10 out of 10 would look like. So if you were a 10 out of 10 on your nutrition, how would you be operating? How would you be feeling? What choices would you be making? And then we come back to your score right now, and we look at okay, what is one positive step that you can take towards being that ten out of ten that can start you on a path to actually get there? Because it's not the, well, it's not always the big leaps that we take. Sometimes it is, but what I find, and a lot of what I have seen success with, is the compounding effect. Yeah. So the compounding effect of really simple choices in a moment that snowballs over time to create your happiest, most flourishing, thriving self.
0: So we started off talking personal. I kind of deviated into business because you said some things I wanted to get into. But now, you know, coming back here and really, as I read the book, it was more on that fueling myself so I can go forward and do you know, that business. And back to the topic of happiness, again, I appreciate you saying it somewhat like, I think you actually said it this way. It's kind of like beauty, you know, it's in the eye of the beholder mm-hmm. in that. And that is, I mean, do you find yourself, I mean, you're leading people to figure out what does make you happy. Cause we've got a world out there that's saying, these are the things that should bring happiness. And so often they don't. And as I thought about it, I, I thought about what, well, actually what I just did, I just got back from a mountain bike ride and it was exercise and whatnot. It's my therapy. It's just fun. It gives me great joy to fly along out in the far remote wilderness as fast as I possibly can down a downhill. Well, that would be terrifying to some people. It gives me great happiness. (laughs) I'm grateful. I know that, but then I also look over here and see, man, some people's happiness is something that would be literal drudgery for mm. me. So you're pulling people, of course, but to even know what to begin with, to be able to begin to to digest your book is you leading them to figuring out what actually makes you happy.
1: Yeah. And just honoring that it doesn't have to be the same yeah. for all of us. Like I really love weird stuff like ice baths. Like that makes me feel happy. And I also love, and what I notice is that it's often the most simple things. So what you're talking about experiencing there with your mountain biking, you've got this physiological anchor where something's going on in your body, which is activating this sense of shifts in mood and shifts in emotion and feeling good. You've also got the effect of nature. Mm. So if you're out there and something is giving you that feeling of awe, and it's like a vastness that is also proven in the science of positive psychology to shift your well-being. For me, I get that with driving, driving with 80s disco music. <laughs> I'm like obsessed okay. with that. <laughs> it's different. really simple things. They don't have to be expensive. They don't have to be fancy. It's often just the, the simple things. So a tool that you can use is just going to write yourself a joy list. How often do you do that? And just writing a list of 20 things that actually, you know, for you bring you joy. And then looking at your calendar and looking at, okay, how many times can I go out on the mountain bike this week? How many times can I do an ice bath this month and planning for that?
0: Okay, well, good. You make me feel a little bit better about my follow-up to the mountain bike ride is jumping in my van, windows down. And the radio cranked. And I feel like I'm a 50-year-old dude and I look like somebody just got out of the high school parking lot. But it just gives me joy. So thank you uh, in that. You know, you talk about our propensities. We're talking about business and we're talking about happiness and all these people that we have that are leaders. They are influencers. They are impacting an audience, whether it's an audience of five or an audience of, you know 50, And you talk about our propensity to put on that brave face instead of working through, you actually say working through our pain. Again, not a popular place that we want to go. And yet to be candid, Nick, that is is what really sabotaged so many of the things that I did along the way. I knew the brave face and I knew performance and I knew a lot of the pieces. And yet nobody really tells us to deal with ourselves over here. And that's it's, it's part of your story, but in all truth, it's really the story of most everyone I end up having here on the show, which should tell us something is that to achieve, I mean, is it possible? Do we know anybody? I'm trying to think if I do, do you know anybody who's reached a level of success, which again is, is in the eye of the beholder, but they're fulfilled, they're joyful, and they have not experienced and worked through, become aware and work through their pain.
1: Mm, I don't know anyone. I
0: don't think honestly. I do either.
1: I think it's different levels as well. Like it's, I'm writing another book now, which looks at this theory of integrated positivity. So it's how can we take our experience, expand from that to learn and grow, and then actually integrate both the good and the bad, the high highs, the low lows, through processing emotion, through rituals, through habits, through systems, and then assimilate them to experience our next level of self because I experienced that separation previously before as well. I experienced being the positive psychologist that just showed up and was forcing herself to be happy all of the time. And I think we've really recognised now that none of us have to put on a brave face. None of us just have to show up and smile and give a performance. And actually, there's a lot of value in having compassionate communication being in the space of non-judgment allowing yourself to feel and also holding space for other people to do that as well I really feel like there's been a more mainstream recognition of the importance of mental health Mm -hmm. and the, the things that we get to do to support that.
0: You, of course, a big part of your story, and you talk about it in the book, and it's honestly, Nick, you you may not know, it's really what drew me to having you on the show, Um, even more so than the business coaching and the business acumen was just, again, your personal story, the bullying as a kid that brought you to the point of looking to take your life, loss of friends, three from suicide, is that right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Parents, divorce, and then rape. When you look back in retrospect, I mean, those things happened to you. You were a victim of those. And so I'll ask a twofold question. What do you, what do you look back in, in retrospect and see in yourself? And what do you now see in other people? That's a, maybe a seed of the ability to overcome instead of being overcome by that.
1: I love this question. This is like something that I'm so curious about because I really want to know, right? I want to know what that like intersection is between somebody deciding to go on to survive or thrive or perform better than ever before and why other people decide to quit. And I feel like it's a combination of things. There's always going to be nuances between everyone's different experience. I feel like looking back for me, I had a knowing inside of myself that there would be growth. So we see within the the phenomenon of post-traumatic growth that it's not just resilience. It's not just bouncing back to your existing set point, but we can go on to live bigger lives because of the traumas and challenges we've experienced So within that, we look at things like developing greater self-assurance, having social support throughout the challenge, having a spiritual connection. That was a really big one for me. So if I look back, for example, at some of the times where I felt my most terrified and I felt like I didn't have personal resources to overcome what was happening in that moment, um, one of the things that got me through was meditation. And it was having this really simple go-to thing where I was waking up in the middle of the night with night terrors, mm. really, really having flashbacks from when I was raped. And I was going through all of the, the trauma therapy and the counseling at the same time. But that was just the unraveling inside of myself so that I was like sat up in bed and I was in that moment. I cannot even get through the next hour. Never mind thinking about building the business. Yeah. So for me, it it was coming back to, okay, I'm going to have the trust and the confidence to pick up my phone, to put on a meditation. And that was one of the things that started to help me get through. I
0: mean, you just mentioned post-traumatic growth. So honestly, it's not a term that I've given much attention to until recently, because I keep hearing it. And so we all know PTSD. I mean, it's, it's, more rampant it feels like than ever out here us hearing people dealing with ptsd now we're hearing ptsg post-traumatic growth instead of disorder and i think i want you to speak to that from a compassionate standpoint because it's real easy to go well, hey you know the strong people over here they're having ptsg it's the, the the weak that are having ptsd as opposed to because what i hear you saying is i mean there's ingredients that we are not uh we can't take credit for. Mm. So if you've got the ability to have, well, you talked about that. You had, you said I had a loving family. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I I also think that you can have both. So it's really interesting. I think the the danger is labeling people or labor labeling things as right or wrong or black and white. Agree. There's so many different shades of gray in the middle So, and actually I have a personal example of that. So I have absolutely experienced post-traumatic growth and in fact, post-traumatic performance. I've gone on to live the most amazing life and I feel happier and stronger and more resourced than ever before. A couple of months ago, I also had some brain scans done at the Daniel Amen Clinics. And those scans came back, and they actually showed me that one of the the results or the diagnoses that I had was that I have PTSD, so I've also experienced post-traumatic growth and I have PTSD. So what's happening in my brain is that there's a fight or flight response that's going on. When It was when I was doing one of the focus tasks and I'm like looking, doing like a computer task yeah. and my body thinks that it's under stress or my brain thinks it's under stress. So we all have work to do and it doesn't mean that just because you've got PTSD there's something wrong with you. It's more of an indicator and you have the awareness that you can then go and unpack that. So I've been adventuring into different modalities as well as positive psychology like EMDR and like more somatic-based therapy because a lot of emotion can be stored in our body too. What we find with post-traumatic growth is that It's often the meaning that we find in these experiences that helps us go on to flourish and thrive. So for me, one of the things that has really helped, for example, when my most recent friend who took her life, when that happened, I was in a question of why do some people decide to quit and why haven't I been able to help her? I felt like a massive responsibility and a really, like had done something wrong by not being able to get the positive psychology tools to help her specifically. And I realized through that processing of the grief and the loss that it doesn't matter as practitioners, as coaches, as teachers, as speakers, as individuals, as humans, who we help. It's more that we are helping in the first place. So the the energy goes out into the world, and I know that through sharing the work that I do, I have helped many people. I get messages every single week. Nick, I read the book, I was going to take my own life, I didn't. Hmm. Nick, I felt like I was just showing up to get through my days. Now I feel like I'm truly living. So those types of meaning and those types of like the understanding of the work that you're doing and the impact that you have has given me greater purpose and has helped me really find that post-traumatic growth through that adversity and challenge.
0: You are listening to The Ziggler Show and my conversation on positive psychology with Nick Pigeon. We'll be right back. You mentioned the Amen Clinics, and I just wanted to draw people's attention to. So that's run by, it was, an, it was founded by Dr. Daniel Amen. So his wife, Tana... Um, if you type in Tana T A N A Tana Amen, the Ziggler Show. I had her on the Ziegler Show and had her on my True Life podcast as well, and we talked some about. Uh, we, well, in our true in my True Life podcast, we really talked about the brain and we talked about trauma, the stuff you talk about, and you just mentioned. That the emotions can be stored in the body. And again, a lot of people are going to tune in here to hear the business coach and talk about, let's turn the business into a million bucks. And yet, we have somebody who's trying, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, and yet they're hampered by themselves uh, so often. And how many people are dealing with chronic illness, disease, and mm-hmm. pain these days? It's, it's, it's astronomical, especially... In America and you're talking about emotions stored in the body and you talked about that as you went through your own healing you said my physical ailments plaguing me disappeared and it was a friend of mine years ago who talked about his own journey and he says he had the physical manifestations of emotional pain and again it's in your book and I heard it a long time ago but it is so not common knowledge. We think I've got this ache, it's some physiological thing. I need a medication or I need to get a better diet even. And here you are saying that you at least for your story, and I know you've found it in a lot of other people's, no, it was it was emotional pain that we weren't dealing with.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And now I think the opportunity is to get aware and illuminate it more quickly and also deal with it more quickly. So as we learn and grow, it's not that we're never going to experience challenge again in our lives or we're never going to go through hard stuff or traumas. But it's the idea that we are psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically more resourced and therefore more capable to cope if and when these challenges do occur. So we'll know next time. Okay. so rather than just ignoring the fact that I'm feeling something I'm going to just take a pause and I'm going to breathe through it instead. And we actually have breathwork practitioners that come in and teach at our retreats for our business clients. And after the retreats they go away, like I had my biggest month in business, Nick, and it's just amazing to see.
0: Well, and that's so going back even to that, who continues and who quits. And we could take that into business. Who is actually able to grow that business into that bright, thriving thing that supports the lifestyle, gives us the fulfillment. And you, again, you talk in the book about working from the inside out. Not the first time I've heard that. Probably not the first time anybody else has heard that but let me say it again, working from the inside out. That's not where we start. That's not where the personal development and the business development industries start. It's not sexy or attractive. I'd rather just have the seven steps or the five keys to XYZ, make the change on my website and go knock it out of the park, have a pill, you know, something along those lines. And yet let me do this. Let me go back to your personal clients. If we're looking at that inside out work and you have somebody, let's say it's a high performer, but they're stuck. They, maybe they plateaued a little bit and they really want to bump up. Where are the first places you go to? If you had, I don't know what's fair, a minute, five minutes. You said, okay, this is elevator coaching. Okay. So you've got the, you're on a speaking gig, elevator coaching. You're, okay. i give it my best shot. Where are the first places you're going to ask that insightful question to kind of feel them out?
1: So I always ask people to create space. So I think that we're so busy these days that we don't often give ourselves the chance to feel the chance to really listen. So I say create space, then tune into what it is that's actually going on. So is it an emotion that's coming up? Maybe it's something you feel scared of, then compartmentalize it and look at what part of that can you control? What part of it Do you need to let go of? Because if you can't control it, it's madness to try to. So what do you need to let go of? And then with the piece that you can control, what might be the process or what might be the tool or the step that you can put into place there? And that might be, for example, doing a morning ritual in the middle of the day. So it might be meditating, breathing, writing out your goals and your affirmations, using some spoken word and some scripting. I really love shamanic shaking. So every single morning I shake my whole body. It's a technique that I learned from Kundalini yoga. And when I'm doing that, I'll just allow like any emotions or sounds to come through and use that as an emotional processing tool. And I find that to be really, really powerful. Another thing that is very significant for all of us on our paths of growth, entrepreneur or not an entrepreneur, is to really get clear on your commitment. And the invitation as an entrepreneur is to recommit again and again and again and again, to get clear on why it is you do what you do and to remind yourself that even if you need to commit, multiple times within a day or even multiple times within an hour some days then that's okay I find that people come off track and they get detracted and distracted and they're having this conversation inside of themselves where they're saying I really want to get the goal Nick I really want to get the goal but I feel like nothing's working then when you get clear okay what is it you're committed to and have you actually been showing up for that commitment people get really honest and like, Oh no, I haven't been doing that. And actually I need to recommit. So let's do that right now.
0: I think the commitment, Nick, I, I, it's such a big deal to my life. Not even because I get overwhelmed or doubtful or frustrated, but sometimes it's just, it's just a lot. It's just a lot. Even though I, man, I love my work. It's great. I, well, I'm just going to go for a mountain biker. Right? I don't know where to start next. And, but I come back to that commitment and the, I I bet I'm not that alone in this, but we, again, in the industry, we focus on so much. Here's what you could have. Here's what you could achieve. And so that by proxy, brings me to making the commitment for this is what will happen. That shiny thing is what will happen if I do X, Y, Z. The one that really historically motivates me most though, is the concern about what will happen if I don't, what happens if I don't. Mm -hmm exercise today. I don't eat my veggies today. I don't get decent sleep. I'll be okay for a day. I may be okay for three days, but I know because I've had the blessing of experiencing top performance, I know it will decline. And I have a, I hope it's a healthy fear of that. So it's that commitment of what will happen if I don't do this. I, I don't, you tell me, cause I, I feel like I know that's what motivates me most. We don't hear much about it though
1: yeah i i definitely feel like that i feel like one of the reasons i exercise is because it makes me feel awake and alive and if i don't exercise then people probably shouldn't be warned don't talk to me
0: because yeah, <laughs> yeah, i'm agree-
1: not going to be a very- agreed Scre- co-
0: forget coffee man let me exercise <laughs> if you want me to be a happy guy Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And then the same with things. So
1: there's a study about food and mood that looked at when you eat seven servings of vegetables on a particular day, your mood is impacted two or three days afterwards. So I feel like we get to be our own experiment and we get to have a subjective experience, but we also have these amazing researchers across all different disciplines and sciences who are going to do the work for us, who are saying, I ran this experiment and I know that when you exercise or when you sleep well or when you eat well, your performance is going to be impacted. So I think that it's a, I also have this conversation with friends about like, why am I so obsessed with feeling good? And I think it's because we know how good you can feel. So I, for example, don't do very well with alcohol. If I have a glass of wine, a couple of glasses of wine, I really, really feel it the next day. And then I look at so many people who just get through life and they have a really great relationship with alcohol and it doesn't really affect them. And I'm just so curious why that is. And I feel like it's because I've got used to feeling a certain way so that when I do things that are different to my biohacking habits or my performance habits, it really does throw me off. I think as well, because I show up and I do a lot of video or I show up and I do a lot of coaching where you have to be very, very present with and for your clients it commands a higher level of accountability and personal accountability to make sure that you show up and you can operate from that higher level of capacity too.
0: It comes back to you, what you talked about earlier on giving a thought towards how well do we want to perform? How good do we want to feel? And I, there's a good place just to be honest. Cause I hear some, I know some folks are going after they get inspired by that super high performance. But if you dig down, they're not really back to your commitment thing, not really committed to it. And I feel like generally in that they, they haven't experienced it yet. Mm,
1: I feel like as well, like we want to recognize that life can get in the way. When we were chatting earlier about what how I overcomplicated things earlier in my mm. journey, one of the things that worked for me and also worked against me was things like traveling. In 2018, I was on stages all around the world and I took more than 100 flights that year, a lot of them long haul. So that worked for me because it was amazing for my brand and I got to show up and do what I love, speaking on stage and promote the book and things like that. But also it didn't work for me because it meant that it was very hard to stay consistent and disciplined and have a routine when you're jet lagged and you're on all of these different time zones. So we just want to get better at noticing the distinctions between what is it that makes me feel good and what is it that doesn't. What is it that is taking me a step closer towards my purpose and my goals, and what perhaps is a distraction or maybe even self sabotage?
0: Yeah, you know, I want to hit a couple big, big ticket items that I came onto out of your book, Talk, talking again about positive psychology. And looking at in essence, what is going right in the world? What is uh, instead of what's going wrong? We talked about that before. And what hit me, Nick, is that as we're looking at that, as people are listening to the show, to realize that right now everything that we turn to, let's say media-wise, media, social media, whatnot, whether it's the news, whether it is you know Facebook, Instagram, whatnot, and there's great stuff on there if you're looking for it, but. If you look at what is offered priority, especially on the news, it is the exact opposite of positive psychology. We know that. If it bleeds, it leads. And when you look at the headlines right now of, you name it, USA Today or CNN or Fox News, there is no positive Psychology on there because it doesn't sell well. So here you are, and people people want it. You know, it's a path to success, and yet we are. I think i wanted to just put out there, so like we, we there's a big enemy fighting against mm-hmm. this effort. Is that fair?
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And when, if I look at the times where <sighs> I've gone to sit with plant medicines, for example, they say for two weeks before you sit in that ceremony, you are not allowed to watch the news. Now, I don't watch the news anyway, but they even go so far as to say, be careful who you surround yourself with and make sure you don't watch any movies that have guns in them. And that really made me think and really made me reconnect and recommit with what we're actually consuming, not just through, for example, what we eat, but also who else's thoughts, who else's patterns of thinking. Are we actually taking into our minds and assimilating into our decision making or our ways of being that perhaps are not serving our well-being?
0: Yes. Okay, here so I'm gonna hit another point then on that note from your book. And this is one that um I, I didn't like this, Nick. Uh, the happiness pie theory. Mm. So the happiness pie theory. So it's something that you resourced here and let me see how to dive into this. What that theory is, is that our happiness depends on, if that's fair to state that, 50% genetic set points, 10% circumstances, 40% intentional activity. And in the book, you said that should be exciting that we have 40% control. Okay, well, I'll be honest. I was, I was irked because I want to think I've got way more control mm. than that. I don't want 50% genetic Set points and 10% circumstances. Actually, let me play with that and I'm going to ask you, and not that you have to be an expert on the happiness pie theory, but just in your, let's call it evidence based experience with yourself, with other people, when you look at that 50% genetic set point, do you feel like that's literally genetics out of the womb? Or are we talking, because when I look at that, I think, is that, is that maybe uh, formative years as well? So, which is somewhat of circumstance. It's not right now, but if we look at, is that genetic set point also kind of our upbringing set point? What, just your yeah, thoughts? Yeah.
1: Knowing what I know from like all of the different modalities that I've experienced and yeah. worked with, I feel like the, the trauma, lineage, generational experiences yeah. and how you have grown up in those formative years with your subconscious programming and patternings yeah. will have an impact on that. Yeah. I actually agree with you that I would love that pie to be updated. So it's one of the foundational theories of positive psychology from a researcher called Sonia Lubomirsky, and she does actually touch on um, the opportunity for epigenetics and that we have potentially more than 50% that's in our control by us unraveling our own programming that can then impact generations to come. So I feel like there's more wiggle room there. And I would love to see the study done again to see if it's replicated with the same results or to see if there's something different that comes through. I think the the main point of that theory is to illuminate the 10% because so many people are so wrapped up in the traffic or the fact that the the kids are driving them crazy or something feels like it's hard and that is what is determining their happiness, fulfilment and success. So I think knowing that it's only 10%, gives people a lot of like a larger sense of personal power and willingness to go and
0: use the tools. Well, let's play with it then, because if we take it as it is, even if it's, we can debate some of the percentages, but at the essence is your genetic set points have a big, big part of it. 10% circumstances, 40% intentional activity that we have the opportunity to control if we don't this is what i was playing with nick if we don't though aren't we by proxy giving that 40% over to the circumstance slice
1: or giving it giving it over and just putting the power outside of ourselves yeah i think that it is it's one of the quotes like i keep coming back to evolve or die hmm. evolve or die and i know tony robbins says if you're not growing then you're dying I think that really rings true here. And if we look at the mental health continuum, we can see that positive psychology does really well to shift you from moderately mentally healthy up to the top tail end of flourishing. We also want to recognise that there is a sense of languishing that can occur and a sense of stuckness or a sense of not moving forwards, when you don't use the tools so it's not to say that anything is wrong if you're not using positive psychology it's just we really want to illuminate what is possible and how much we can play with and how much is in our control when we choose to to do that to take it
0: i want to land on the segments that your book is in so folks, you're hearing us talk about the essence of this. We're not obviously walking through the book page by page. That's why you're supposed to go buy it. <laughs> um, but you have it segmented in body, mind, and spirit. And if there was no purpose on the order, that is okay. But I'm just literally always curious about that because uh, because we talk about it. You know, the order, not of importance, but okay, I won't, I won't fish. I'll, I'll just throw it out there because you put body, mind, and spirit. And I grew up in a very, you know, faith-based uh, upbringing in the church and, you know, spirit, the spiritual self. That was most important. And yet now where I am, I tend to sequentially, again, not most important, but if we're looking at the, you build a house, you build a foundation. The foundation's not sexy. We don't come in and talk to people and say, may come and check out this foundation. We say, no, come check out the master bedroom and the chandelier. And that's, that's awesome. But it did have to have that foundation. And I struggle these days in trying to impart anything to anybody, whether it's spiritual counsel or business counsel or whatever, if their body slash mind, because they're connected is compromised. And so there's my lead. It's not, it's not even a, it's it's a lead It's a question of what your thoughts are, because you did happen to put in the book, sequentially body, mind, and spirit.
1: Mm. And it's an interesting question because if I was going to um, describe my own experience or how I think I would probably go to spirit first Okay. and yeah, I would go to like that connection and that inner power and purpose that informs everything. And I recognize that that potentially isn't the easiest place to start from if you are starting on a journey of happiness for yourself. So where I wanted to start was actually more with the grounded practices. So it's like if you look around you in your home and your daily life, what is it that you can tangibly, practically do right now to give you some quick wins? Yeah. So that's why we started with things like gratitude and things like decluttering, physical activity and nutrition, so that you can get some real traction and get that foundation under your feet within which you can then build. We're then looking at the, the thinking skills, so the intellect and more of the mindset shifts that you can get. When you're in that mind category and then more of the existential the connection the meaning the purpose when you get more into the spiritual space now what's interesting for my next title is i'm actually looking more at the power of the body again mm. that is my um specialism within positive psychology it was my specialism my theses were all in um physical activity and i was a personal trainer for 10 years So, I'm really fascinated by this. And I've kind of started in that space, came away from it, worked more in the mindset and the thinking space, and then I've really come back to this understanding of integration and embodiment and the power of the body to hold and heal for us. So, whilst it was a foundation in this book, I know when the next book comes out in the future, it's also going to be something that is a deeper level of processing as well.
0: You you know, talk about the power of the body. You started off saying that one of the tools you like is the strengths finder, which is credited today to Gallup. Tom Rath was the original author of strengths finder. And I had him on a show probably five or six years ago. He wrote a book. I don't know how well it went out there, uh, but it was called Fully Charged. And it was make, what makes a good day. People act like it's happenstance. What actually makes a good day? And what was interesting, Nick, you'll appreciate this, is he approached it, talking about the power of the body. I had no idea until we did the interview of this. He has, I don't remember the details or the terminology, but it was this propensity to grow cancer. It's a, a, a problem within his physical self. So he wakes up every day, talk about a motivator, knowing his body has this over propensity to grow cancer. That's what he's dealing with. And so he's very motivated. Look at what fully charges my body to be able to do what it's supposed to do. And as you said, to heal itself. Uh, It's
1: amazing. What a fascinating perspective to have been gifted with.
0: It is. It is. So I thought you'd be interested in that. Okay. I I said I was going to land and I didn't do it. I do want to pull one more thing out of the book that I really appreciate. The fact that you just put it in a 30 day guide. So (laughs) my dad wrote a book, gosh, I think it's 20 years now. Dan Miller, everybody hears about him on the show. He wrote the book 48 days to the work you love. That's a great book. It's a bestseller. It's sold, I don't know, a couple million copies, I think at this point, but one of the really powerful pieces of it is he just put a timeline. He talks about this 48 days and it wasn't totally arbitrary, but it could, have, you know, is it, could it be 56? Could it be 36? He still chose one So it is possible to do this with that same perspective. I really appreciate that. You're not throwing this out. You're saying, look, here is a walkthrough. Let's just do it every day. And you put it in bite sized pieces that make it easy to digest and walk out. And I assume that comes from, again, your many years of coaching and knowing that for people to actually participate, engage, and digest something, it's got to be in a format like that. Okay. Yeah. I think
1: one of the best things about a book is that it is a format that's familiar for people. It's not like everybody knows what an online course is or people don't necessarily always know what a mastermind is, but they know what a book is. Like you've got a million of them on your shelves Mm -hmm. and you walk past them every day. And for me, it's about how can you get the people to actually use the tools? So rather than reading the book and then closing it, What our students and what our readers say is that they flip open this book and they use it almost like, you know, the the card decks that you get. Pick a card and you flip it open on one day and it's like, okay, that's the tool I'm going to use today. So after you've gone through it once for the 30 days, you can just choose any day and use that little 10 to 15 minute activity to help you get real results. It didn't actually start as a 30-day guide. It started as a 12-chapter book, and it was very serious, very academic. Um, So I really dropped into what is it that people need, and I think people need simplicity. People need practicality. Yeah. People need things that work.
0: Well, I appreciate you saying that. I'll candidly admit that I gave the first draft of my manuscript to uh, the publisher, to, to the editor. And now it's somewhat of a rewrite to really make it more prescriptive. They said, no, you got, I, I get it, but can we be more prescriptive and get to those points? So I believe we need that. Uh, as well. So, well, you know, and, and in that too, as I'm looking at the contents, it gives somebody the opportunity as well if they hear the show. So, folks, if you're hearing the show and you really keyed into a certain thing uh, that Nick said here, a certain area on body, mind, or spirit, obviously. Uh, there's the ability to go in there and just jump straight to that as well. If you want, Hey, I'm, I appreciate it. That's why I had you on the show. I get a lot of stuff admittedly on business and I'm most curious about the personal story and the personal development behind that. And yours is what attracted me to having you on there. And I'm grateful I made the decision. Thanks for getting the book out. Thanks for doing what you do. And thanks for giving us your time today, especially giving me your time. Okay, friends, again, if you resonated with this show, with this topic, you can connect with Nick Pigeon and get her book for free at nowisyourchancebook.com. And you can join myself and others like you and me in my Driven to Live community to talk about it further at kevinmiller.co. Coming up next in Ziegler Show Episode 960, we dig into a listener question on how to sell and influence by getting to the root of people's needs, so we can provide the solution that they need. Whether that's our product or service or someone else's, even, which is going to be interesting as you hear us talk about it. It's really just a sales class, an in-depth one with Tom Ziegler. It's worth its weight in gold, and it's free to you. Till then.